You're listening to episode seven. Hey there, Business Generals family. Welcome to another super episode of the Business Generals podcast where I feature amazing guests and I ask in-depth questions about their entrepreneurial journey. You know, my belief is that it doesn't matter how your journey in life started. It's not that important because great or small, the important thing is how you finish. So whatever your situation today, I want you to know that you can get your hopes up, that you are good enough to chase your dreams. In today's show, family, I dig into how it all started for our feature guests, how they have built their brand, and I even get into all the juicy details about their big challenges, their growth moments, and all their big breakthroughs. So it's going to be an amazing show. I actually selfishly started this podcast because I love to hear how entrepreneurs did it, and I wanted to ask the questions for myself. So really, I am the number one student. So Get ready for amazing coaching tips, family, to help you maximize your business dreams. Welcome and thank you for joining me here on the Business Generals podcast where I chat with amazing entrepreneurs five days a week. This is Davis Mutabo here, your host. I am super excited to bring you today's featured guest, Mr. Trav Bell. Trav, are you ready to share your entrepreneurial story? Oh, certainly, and Davis, g'day listeners. Fantastic. Trav Bell is the bucket list guy, the world's number one bucket list expert, a self-appointed bucket listologist. Trav has obsessively studied the bucket list phenomenon and blended the world's best positive psychology principles to create his own unique bucket list life philosophy. He has designed a life around his bucket list and now helps bucket listers all over the globe create and cross off theirs. Trav, before we talk business, perhaps just take 30 seconds to tell us who Uh, who you are, a little bit about your non-business uh, personal background. Wow. Uh, well, my, well, the thing is, my business is my life, and my life is my business. And I don't believe in work-life balance. It's all one of the same, really. I mean, uh, we just spoke offline. I'm going to do a big keynote talk in Africa, but I'll be in, over in Africa for three and a half weeks climbing Mount Kilimanjaro. So that is my life. That is, that is actually why I created this, this persona of the bucket list guy. So outside of doing all that, I kind of surf, work out. <laughs> I'm an, I'm a crazy learner, love people watching, hanging out with cool, inspiring people. Good, like yourself, mate, and, um, just sharing the love. Mm, appreciate that. Fantastic. Trav, uh, we'll jump into the business side of things and what you've been doing, but how long would you say you've been in full-time business for yourself? I've been in business my whole life uh, for myself. I've actually never had a job. Help us understand that mindset. Is that your parents uh, sort of helped you to that or it just came out, you're never going to get a job, it just happened? I tell a little bit of a lie. I was a kid's swimming teacher um, slash lifeguard when I was really young, like when I was about Uh, 18 or something. That was my last job. And then I went to university, um, did a Bachelor of Applied Science in Phys Ed. So I was going to be a, a Phys Ed teacher. But then about third year university, there was this guy that came in who became my mentor. He was doing this thing called strength conditioning. And we did an elective during university. And he was doing this thing called personal training back in the 90s. And I'm like, This is fascinating. And he was, uh, you know, personal trainer to all these, you know, kind of people on TV and a lot of wealthy people up in Turak in Melbourne and getting paid an absolute fortune. And I thought, hang on, he's getting paid like $200 an hour. This is in the 90s. 
and to do really what? And I'm like going, hang on, this is cool. Um, it's PE you know, you know, teacher. So I, I kind of, and this is probably some advice I'd love to pay forward, is find someone out there that's doing what you want to do and become an absolute ambassador for them. And so I followed Tony Hewitt around, and I actually just caught up with him uh, two weeks ago. This is pre-interwebs. This is pre-Google machine. This is pre-crackbook. So um, I uh, followed him around. He's like, subscribe to this magazine, do this, come to this seminar, you know, go to this conference. And so I, I just completely got absorbed by this thing called personal training. Now, this is back in the days when personal training wasn't what it is today. There was no big training schools or anything. It was still in the gym environment. There wasn't um, all these personal trainers running around parks. I was really one of the first personal trainers running around Melbourne. So I started personal training in third year university, and by the end of university, I was making more money in personal training with less hours than any phys ed teacher or any university lecturer that I knew. So I'm like, hmm... And I could literally do that and still have half. I could I could make that money and still have, you know, half a day off um, during the middle of the day um, to do other things. So there was a lot of um, getting paid a lot of you know dollar per hour. The dollar per hour rate was pretty high with personal training, and so I grew. I started with one client. And I think my record was 63 one-hour mobile personal training sessions in a week. I was running around Melbourne at parks and gyms, and I had to deal with four gyms around Melbourne, north, south, east, west, um, where I could literally just turn up, pay five bucks, member or non-member, and train them. So I pretty much cooked myself realizing <laughs> that I had to leverage, get employees, so then I leveraged into basically created started creating systems. I read the E Myth by Michael Gerber, who I've seen twice in concert now. Uh, <laughs> the first business book I ever read and it absolutely ruined me for life. Um, it, it put me into that franchising systemization mindset, and I'm a big systems freak. So being trading time for money only, you know, put a ceiling on my earnings and put a ceiling on my, my growth. And I started to, you know, get burnout and therefore started to implement systems to help me leverage. And I got up to 13 personal trainers working for me at one stage and developing the first, one of the first personal training studios there in Richmond in, uh, in the 90s and uh, got a big personal training studio there in Swan Street, filled it full of personal trainers, only to realise that I was a great personal trainer but a crappy business person <laughs> and I, I didn't do the, uh, the numbers right and as a result got three months behind on rent. I had a bunch of trainers left, left me because I couldn't pay them. I just didn't calculate things. I was overpaying on different leases and the and the actual lease on the space. I got a, a commercial lease that was way too expensive and too big and then realised that I needed to get a coach. And uh, so I got a coach and he said, Trav, what do you want to achieve You know, in a year's time? And I said, oh, you know, I'm, I'm three months behind on rent, you know, really scraping it together. I mean, I was living in the personal training studio, mind you, eating two-minute noodles, you know, it was pretty bad, way behind on all my bills. But I just, I, I had that, you know, big reason why, that big goal, 
and said, look, what do you want to achieve? And I said, I want to be the first to franchise personal training in Australia, personal training studios in Australia. And a year later, we sold our first franchise, and I turned it all around, and off we went. And I developed that business into a chain of 21 personal training studios around Australia in three states, and uh, was the first to franchise them. And so our model was a personal trainer studio with six to eight personal trainers with a franchise owner manager, you know, at the helm. From one client up to, you know, helping tens of thousands of clients across Australia and doing nearly two million personal training sessions in the process. Wow, that's uh, that's phenomenal. What what would you say was the biggest shifter in that one year that transitioned you from you know being at the brink of broke to you know starting up your first um, franchise? Good question. Um, Realising that I had to systemise in order to grow. I had to leverage and, and duplicate myself in order to grow. So in doing that, you've got to realise what your strengths are and what your weaknesses are. Um, and also, let go of your ego. If I look back on it now, the best advice that I can give to your guys is to not make ego-based decisions, make logical decisions. Uh, watch your numbers. Be an absolute, you know, um, yeah, you got to be, you got to watch the numbers. You know, one, one thing that I, I did by mistake was I, I didn't like doing the books. I just didn't like it. I was more of a, you know, a front end kind of guy doing the marketing and sales and I loved doing that part, but I was like, no, no, bookkeeper, you handle the books. And little did I know that they were hopeless and, you know, misappropriating different things and coming up with crazy additions to line items and stuff like that. So I overpaid a bunch of things and underpaid other things and they were hopeless. But it was my business, so I took full responsibility and I took full responsibility in taking it back and then getting down into the numbers. And, you know, with all the personal trainers leaving, then for me stepping in and taking, you know, taking control of my books, I li- literally uh, realised that I've got to learn, I've got to learn how to do bookkeeping, uh, how to learn how to learn my op um, the right way and uh, sort of went back and I realised that, uh, you know, I became a generalist of that, not a specialist, but a generalist of that to the point where I could outsource it confidently again, but know what to expect back in return. This is fantastic. So a couple of things that I'm picking up here, Trap, um, you know, systemization and duplication. I mean, those are key things that I love to train about. And that's, that's really a lot of this stuff that's in the e-myth book, as you, as you were saying. Um, but no ego. Give me an example of how your ego sort of got in the way and, and what was that big thing that you changed that can help somebody listening today? Easy. I had someone else <clears throat> who was a competitor wanting to open up other personal training studios where I wanted to and I uh, I just got competitive and I, I mean you've got to have a, a degree of competitiveness but not stupid competitiveness in business. I bought two businesses, I rebranded them uh, just to take them off the market, rebranded them and then uh, packaged them into, uh, you know, acquired them and then merged them into our brand. So there was one in uh, Albert Park and also one in Elwood. Um, expensive rents and I didn't do it right. I made some mistakes based on just getting in there before the other person. Yeah, I succeeded, but at a cost. What would you do differently in that situation? I wouldn't have bought them. At all? 
I wouldn't have gone for the loans um, and overpaid for the loans to get those businesses. I would have just let the other person take them. I would have done a lot more due diligence before I bought them and I would have been a lot more patient and organically grow our brand more than aggressively acquire. Interesting. Trav, you mentioned you needed to watch your numbers um, and you didn't like the books and you learned my op. That's like a terrible word to say for most entrepreneurs to learn an accounting software because nobody really likes that unless you, you've got my kind of background, which is accounting. But talk me through what you mean by you learned my and how important is that rather than just outsourcing to a, an accountant or a bookkeeper and letting them run that piece? Look, yeah, I, you've got to, I think as a small business owner, um, because we start off as a jack of all trades, master of none. You've got to be every department. You've got to wear every hat. So you've got to be sales and marketing. You've got to be operations. You've got to be finance. You've got to be HR. And as a result, you've got to wear every hat. And that's what drives us all insane. You know, one, one moment you're dealing with a staff issue. Then you've got to deal with uh, your website, you know, sales and marketing. Then you've got to be a freaking copywriter. <laughs> then you've got to be... You got to go into and pay some bills and be a bookkeeper, you know, and you don't know who, who you are at the end of the day. And then you've got to have a life. And that's what absolutely cooks a lot of small business owners. When I coach people, I've, I say, look, you've got to start off wearing all those hats. Don't start unless you're willing to do that. And then once you get comfortable, you know, the, over the general skills that are required in each category, then and know, especially with your books, know what to expect back in return. What is an actual balance? You know, where, where are your line items? Where, what does a balance sheet look like? What is that? How to create a balance sheet? How to do your BAS statement? How to do, how to construct a P&L? How to do reconciliations? These are all the things that, you know, you need to, you need to, because what if, what if your bookkeeper was sick? What if one of your people was sick and they can't do that job, but yet you've got a deadline looming? You're stuffed. So you've got to be able to take, in the early days anyway, you've got to be able to take that stuff back and do it if, if in an emergency. I recommend that a lot of small business owners, I know a lot of small business owners just don't like the books and they don't like technology. They don't like their websites. I'll be the first to say, step into the fear and do it anyway, because you've got to be a generalist. So know how to blog out of your out of your website. Know you don't have to write code or anything, but know how to change pictures. Know how to upload a blog, or upload a video, or, or change something on your website. Maybe put some plugins into the back end of your WordPress site or whatever it might be. Know how to uh, do your social media as well. Know how do you do your books. And then once you're okay with that basic skill set, then outsource the finer details, you know, in that job description um, and pay, pay a specialist because you'll know what, what questions to ask and you'll know what to do in case of emergency. And in due course, you outsource those hats, those job descriptions to other people as your business grows and, and that forms departments for each business, offer your business. And then you become more of an ambassador for your business in due course, depending on the scalability of it. That's fantastic. And, you know, coming from somebody who's got, a, I guess, a science background, an education background, and you've sort of plunged yourself into marketing, into sort of accounting and administrative understanding, technology, so website development or not development, but updating and, and managing. 
that's encouraging for somebody who's sitting out there freaking out thinking, I don't want to touch my website. So, so, so to all the guys listening today, you know, our business owners community, my encouragement is, you know, as Travis is, is coaching us here today, let's step into those roles and really begin to, to understand that. Trevor, what would you say? Let's say that, can I just say something there? Like, it's either suck it up and get on and, and learn it or potentially get ripped off with a lot of money. So your, your bookkeeper can, can, um, can stuff up. They're, they're not, not every bookkeeper's, um, paint, not every bookkeeper's the same. And you can get overcharged for bookkeeping. You can get overcharged for accounting. You can get overcharged for legal and you can definitely get overcharged for web work. Okay. And so why not learn the gen, you know, the general schools in those departments and then maybe, you know, pay for the specialist to come in when the foundation's been laid. Yeah, I, I, I just like people, especially in small business, when every dollar counts, because I, I like businesses to, you know, have a level of organic growth rather than I'll borrow a heap of money and then, you know, trade my way back out to profit. Yeah, I like to just conserve every dollar. So why not upskill? Yeah, what are the key pillars, departments or faculties that you believe a small business owner should be? looking at getting knowledge in and perhaps later on outsourcing. So we've talked about web, we've talked about sort of um, accounting or your bookkeeping. What other aspects have come up, become important to you and your business? Yeah, definitely the web stuff. I mean, that can, tech can absolutely do your head in as can. I, I think those are the probably the two departments that you'd outsource first. Depends how much pain is around each one of them, of course. The thing that causes the most pain is obviously the one that you want to step into, skill up, generally speaking, and then outsource as fast as possible. But make sure that if you're going to spend 50, 60 bucks on a bookkeeper, you're not sitting around. You're doing work that is more dollar per hour rate than you're paying out. Okay, so if you're paying out 50 bucks an hour, then you should be doing 100 bucks an hour jobs. And so if you're a business coach or, you know, whatever, you should be charging out money. So that 50 bucks an hour is not a big issue. It's not about um, just, off, you know, getting rid of that job description, sitting around thinking, oh, yeah, everyone's working for me now. Everything's good. No, you've got to go into overproduction mode and go to your strengths and go out there and sell some stuff. So, yeah, I'd, I'd say outsourcing that, uh, the books and also the tech stuff because um, that's an an ever-moving landscape. You know, getting good at having some outsourcing, you know, some great outsourcing companies out there now and um, having had VAs, uh, a few VAs, virtual assistants overseas in the Philippines, you can get some really cheap, you know, work done. You know, that that's also a bit of a minefield as well um, in terms of getting the right people for the job and, you know, maybe even getting a personal assistant in due course as well. That can certainly work well. That's right. I mean, I find designing um, marketing material for, for clients or for myself, and you've kind of got to step through um, exactly what you want, what your vision is. Otherwise, there's some of those um, really low, lower price designers won't just get you the goods. So you've got to be taking ownership of that process, which applies for bookkeeping and all your other outsourced services. Like you were saying, Trav, you've got to take ownership of all of that. Yeah, and there's an interpretation, you know, level of interpretation. Um, there's a level of, well, lack of possible lateral thinking as well. You know, with a lot of the outsource workers will just do what you say. Don't get them to be too creative. I mean, I'm, I'm making a generalist statement here, but I've got, I've got a background in doing this. So I come from an experienced point of view that you've got to tell them literally what you want 
and and then go from there. But you know, it's pretty cool. You know, when you when you wake, you, you can go to bed and and wake up and there's some work done for you. Absolutely, Trevor. I want to I want to pivot just very quickly. How did you acquire your very first client when you started out your your fitness uh, business? Um, this is obviously pretty far removed from what I do now, but um, you know the uh, the fitness business. Yeah, I was a kid swimming teacher, and I got my first personal training client from one of the kids' mums. They, they said, "Oh, because I was doing the personal training elective, or no, strength and conditioning elective." And she had no. I was doing rehabilitation at uni- university, and Heather was my first ever personal training client. And she had a neck, a back, and a knee, and uh, arthritis in her knee to the point that it was getting drained every, you know, every couple of months. So, you know, she was a 60-year-old lady or 55-year-old lady, sorry, at the time. And I had just done some rehabilitation stuff at at university. And I I thought, oh, yeah, well, I've got to practice somewhere. So um, (laughs) she she wanted to pay me and, and I said yes. And I cleared it with centre management and off we went. Right. Now that's that's interesting, and I love the fact that you actually remember the, your first client's name. Obviously, it's left them uh, an indelible print. Oh, look, this is this is why I fell in with uh, I fell in love with helping people. You know, it's, I don't feel fulfilled if I'm not helping people really at a grassroots level. And what I do now is an international speaker, and I help people in the personal development rather than you know the first twenty years of my working life was PT. Now it's PD. And now as the bucket list guy, I help people with their whole life and uh, not just their health and fitness, which is, you know, kind of a transition that I made out of personal training into personal development. But no, Heather Heather was a client for years and years and years. And I, I've told this story before. And I used to be the head presenter at the Australian Institute of Fitness for three and a half years when they started. And I told this story of Heather. Now, Heather was, you know, like I said, had all these injuries going on. Her self-confidence was really low. She used to come into personal training sessions. She used to come in with bruises. And I was 21. And I'm like, whoa, what's going on here? And, her, you know, look, her husband wasn't a nice bloke, if you know what I mean. So self-confidence was low. And one of the reasons that she did personal training was, you know, to create me time. So we train, you know, three times a week, two or three times a week. We did it for years and years, and sometimes she'd come in in not such a good state, and I'd be like, you know what, we've got all this circuit here, and we've got all this planned out. And I'd be like, you know what, today we're going to do coffee and start having a chat. Now, I'm not Dr. Phil or anything like that, but I learned pretty quickly that I've got two ears and one mouth, and I need to use it in those proportions, listen twice as much as you speak. And that's where I really fell in love with the whole coaching side of things. So the great thing about Heather is she, she got the confidence up as you do from fitness and becoming healthy and losing weight and the injuries gone. It was a whole thing and she could literally only power, you know, power shuffle on a treadmill. Got her never swimming before in her life to swimming a, a peer to pub swim down there in Lawn, a 1.2k open water swim to running a half marathon, a bunch of half marathons to doing a first triathlon to leaving her husband as a result of all this. Now I had nothing to do with that bit. It wasn't that sus. <laughs> um, she left me. She joined Yarra Triathlete Squad and met a bloke. And then 10 years after I think I started training her, I gave a speech at her wedding on her behalf. And there was a dry eye in the house. That's what I love, why I love what I do. 
Trav, tell me now today, um, you've pivoted out of personal training now in, pers- in, in personal development. Um, explain to me and, um, and the guys listening to this show how you're generating your revenue today. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, a backstory. I, I grew the personal training business into a bit of a monster. I became a too much of an accountant, mate, and too much of a lawyer. <laughs> I lost touch with, uh, yeah, the, the franchise model kind of did my head in, and I slipped into some depression. I was in a pretty unhappy place, and someone said, oh, look, what are you going to, you know, are you going to mope around or are you going to do something about it? And I've got a tattoo on my right arm on my forearm that says, if it is to be, it is up to me. I had to change something. And uh, so literally, I, you know, after being in that sad place, I, I closed it all down and put on a talk, kiss goodbye, a whole bunch of income, put on a talk and packaged in everything that I've learned. And then at the end of that talk, which was all my NLP life coaching stuff that I'd learned, personal development stuff, business stuff, um, someone actually called me the bucket list guy after I shared that I had a list to do before I died since I was 18. Not a lot of people knew me. So I, someone actually called me the bucket list guy. So transitioning out of that, I went home that night after that and registered the bucketlistguy.com and I went, all right, who's like the king of bucket list in the world? Oh, look, no one. So stuff it. I called myself the world's number one bucket list expert. <laughs> um, people who are watching who are about to start their own business, or starting their own business, mate, you've got to claim your space. So uh, I claimed it. I went the world's number one. Why not? And big shoes to fill. So I went and did all the, you know, the thought leader courses, the expert courses, the, um, you know, and and uh, how to monetize your expertness. I spent a heap of money on doing that. And, you know, there's there's a bunch of different ways in which to monetize your expertness. And that is being the expert in your industry, being a thought leader, as it were. So you can coach, mentor, speak, author, facilitate, train, run events, do keynotes, all that sort of stuff. So now my chosen path that I've chosen to go to the modalities that work for me best is speaking. So I love speaking. That's where I find flow. Me sitting behind a computer for long periods of time trying to write out books kind of does my head in. Obviously, I like to speak. <laughs> and just tomorrow, I've got a TED Talk. I'm, you know, I love speaking, and then I run off to, after my TED Talk, then I've got another keynote at the Hunter Valley, and then, yeah, going over to South Africa to do another gig. So, you know, for me, that's what I've always wanted, and that's what I love doing, and it keeps it fresh. And really, through speaking, I can coach one to many. You know, there's going to be close to maybe 2,000 people at the TED Talk tomorrow, and uh, that's a way in which I can coach one to many and get this message out there get my mission out there uh, to a lot of people in a short amount of time. So that is my modality. So I I used to run big personal development events. Now I do mainly keynotes. I do mentoring of other speakers. So anyone who wants to be a speaker as a past president of the Professional Speakers uh, Australia in Victoria and also past board member, I've learned a lot about speaking and the uh, commercialization of a message through speaking. And so I do a lot of ment- or private mentoring. So I have about 10, 10 or so mentoring clients um, that uh, I meet with weekly. Uh, then I do coaching, you know, mainly, uh, entre- well, more developed entrepreneurs. I do a lot of startups, you know, people who are looking at, uh, who've got a few maybe staff members who really want to become uh, more leveraged, who want a bit more life. I obviously coach a lot of speakers as well. 
then um, they're not going an online travel business as well, which uh, is like, you know, be like Costco for travel. And uh, we're helping people, you know, cross more travel off their bucket list sooner, which is really cool. And they can also make money out of that. So, you know, they're the kind of four main things, you know, right now that are floating my boat. How did you start growing your speaking business right at the beginning? Well, number one, I, there's a free-to-fee seesaw. So you go out there and the best type of marketing for a speaker is to speak. Typically from each speaking gig, you should get two to three other gigs. So you go out there and you can speak at meetup groups, you can speak at all sorts, Rotary, you can speak at all sorts of different community things that are out there and before you know it, you know, you've got to market yourself. And one of the, the number one marketing strategy that I've always had, mate, is to be as close to the word bucket list as I possibly can, to overuse and outmarket using the word bucket list. When I started, I thought, all right, well, bucket list is a pretty urban term that's used quite frequently. I could go around trying to sue everyone for using it or just outmarket them. So I've done that. So hence why I'm on this show, hence why I'm doing TED Talks, hence why I'm the bucket list guy. And so, no, I, I love the, the marketing side of it, especially with social media. It's in our hands. So I've just prioritised that. I haven't hidden away from it. And, um, yeah, most people know me as the bucket list guy now. And that happened by default. Give me a, a recent example of what you're um, proactively doing when you say, you know, out, out market and, and stay front of mind for people as the bucket list guy. Well, I always say with speakers, you've got to pick a, la- pick a highway, then pick a lane. So if you're a, I'm, I'm a motivational speaker. I get put up against the Olympic athletes and, you know, people have climbed Everest and, you know, all sorts of different people when we start conferences. So I'm pitched against them. You know, the speaker bureaus, we have a lot of speaker bureaus out there who place speakers in conference agendas and run sheets. So I get pitched up against them. I'm a motivational speaker, which is the, the biggest category, I think, of speakers. So for me, um, and my advice is just to stick to one thing. The hardest part about being an entrepreneur, kids, is saying no, is not go to the next bright, shiny object. I mean, that's what I used to do. And I used to go, oh, that's cool, that's cool, I'll do a bit of that. Oh, the guy down the road is doing that, so I might do a bit of that as well. And you know, before you know it, you're spinning all these plates and you're not doing anything right. You're not, or you're doing everything about 20%, 30% complete. They say that one of the indicators of success is completion. Do one thing and do it really well and run it deep until it's done. So for, for me, I've just had to keep the blinkers on, and that is a really hard process for a lot of people, um, especially when you've got competitors. You've got other people around you, even employees, business partners, saying we should do this way, we should go this way, we should, you know. Um, so take your time, think about the lane in the highway that you want to create and own and just dig deep. Doesn't it get boring? Well, it's up to the person, isn't it? I would say that no, there's probably other levels of exploration that you can where you can go to with within that business. Um, but you've got to you've got to drive that wedge. And, and some people, most people, I, I I will say most people don't drive that wedge deep enough before they try and expand into other into another products and services. I love that. Yeah, that's really good. Good training. Um, Trap fear of failure that holds a lot of. Um, entrepreneurs away from starting their own business or 
or even pursuing um, their passions or, you know, taking off something off their bucket list. Talk to me through um, your personal journey and maybe an example of how, how you've faced failure and maybe you thought, you know, this, I'm never going to go back to doing this, this thing um, and how you came out of that. Only do it if you're going to do it. Only start it if you're really going to complete it you know, and get hooked in with the why, you know, why you're starting this and why you're continuing on this journey. That is the reason that you'll get out of bed in the morning and you continue to fight. Uh, when the why is strong enough, the how will work itself out. And really, as far as, you know, fear of failure and fear of success are basically the same thing. And to use another phrase, you've got to fail for, you know, feel the fear and do it anyway, which is a book by Susan Jeffries. So you don't really need to read the book, mate. You just feel the fear and do it anyway. But you've got to fail forward faster. You know, the, the real innovators today, the people that succeed can quickly adapt to change. So if you get smashed by a competitor or you something happens in the market, a new piece of technology or whatever, it's your ability to change and then get over it and then adapt and move forward. You've got to adapt quickly. Most people who aren't accustomed to this way of thinking will sit and mope and go, oh, it always happens to me, and then blame the world and everyone else and use excuses, blame and denial and be a complete victim of the circumstance rather than a victor and that is above the line thinking when it comes to taking responsibility being accountable to yourself and com- taking complete and utter ownership over your situation just getting on with it what would you say has been your worst moment in business letting go of my personal training studios and, and realizing that i lost lost passion for it but hanging on to something that I'd lost passion for was incredibly painful. But that was quickly mitigated by me selling my last business and letting go and, and even closing down my last business because I did all three. And and then to go, oh, my God, I'm, I'm not in personal training anymore. And then just to wipe my hands clean of personal training and go, it's it's done. And, oh, my God, and that's like 20 years of my whole identity uh, now we're looking at, at something new. And that was incredibly scary going into speaking when it can be so hot and cold. Trying to get, I was used to people paying on direct debit and to going from this a feast of famine, feast of famine kind of, th- kind of thing in speaking, professional speaking. Well, that's why I did the other business as well. Um, you know, the, the travel business because I've got residual income coming in now from that. I've also got consistent cash flow through my mentoring and coaching as well. So the cash flow has been smoothed out since. So long story short, yeah, it was the pain just before the release of going into personal development. So many, many years later now, Trev, if you were still running your personal um, training business, would you exit or would you manage it differently and continue to create that passive income stream, do you think? Hard for me to give advice around that because I I did lose passion for it. So it's hard to think. Well, I wouldn't do anything. I wouldn't do anything. Um, I, when I realised I'd lost passion for it, I can't. I, I just can't go on. I, you know, I don't want anything to do with it anymore. And I think there's a lot of people in business that hate their businesses. You know, they've created a a monster around themselves that they can't get out of. I've got some friends that just, you know, created this business that they don't like anymore. They would rather walk away from it, but their ego and their their income is obviously tied up in it. 
and it's worse than even working for someone. So for me to go back, I would have, it's hard to say, because everything that I do now is a result of what I've done. And if I'd done things differently, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now. So it's hard to say, but I probably would have chosen a different route. I probably, I would have been more patient. I would have got our business model better, more profitable to then have more of a foundation to grow that business on the back of. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Um, in your current speaking business and coaching and mentoring, what was your biggest breakthrough moment when you really felt things had shifted into a, another dimension that was encouraging for you? Oh, mate, that could be this morning, realizing that I'm about to tick, you know, doing a TED talk off my bucket list and then literally three days later I fly and fly to uh, South Africa to keynote at a global conference with um, with one of my one of my mentors who has actually hired me to speak at his company over in South Africa in a place that you know well that I've never been to. And to I'm getting paid more than most people would get paid in a month for literally one hour's work. Yeah, that's amazing. And congratulations for that. I was just saying earlier, I've driven past that, that location in Sun City. It's a prestigious place. And uh, I know the guys you're working with, um, admirable group of people. So congratulations for coming all this way. Yeah, and I mean, you know, mate, I've got the luxury of being able to um, do that. And I, I feel blessed. And I'm, I honestly, I don't take anything that I do for granted. Um, I'm a big gratitude guy, so I look back and I'm so grateful for every lesson I've learned and so grateful for everyone around me and so grateful for the opportunities that are happening. Um, to be able to fly my parents over to help them tick two things off their bucket list as a result of me doing this is just like, you know, I'm climbing Mount Kilimanjaro with my dad. So we've made that happen. We've got a private tour up there and also my mum is flying over to do the lion encounter there um, near Livingston in Zambia. So uh, they're volunteering for the, with the lions over the sanctuary over there. And my mum hasn't got a massive bucket list, but she said if there's anything on it, I'd love to do that. And that's what I've made happen. That's huge, man. I mean, I, uh, that's amazing because just to do that with your parents and with your family, that's, that's, that, that's what life is about. Um, it's yeah, I mean, I... I'll be including my talk tomorrow that our, you know, our businesses, guys, our businesses, I'm extremely passionate about this. Our businesses is designed to do two things and two things only. Our businesses are designed to, to spit out time flow and also to spit out cash flow. And it's what we do with that time and that cash that really, then really matters. And that's, you know, into the, into the bucket list. Our double bonus, though, if you absolutely love what you do and you're out there serving people and your product or service is actually, you know, connecting with your your values, which is your internal rule book, you know, that's the holy grail. That's amazing. Yeah, I mean, spitting out cash flow and time, I love that. And then if you're providing value through your customer service and through your products, then, then you're right, you know, you're really getting into that. Um, zone where you you know you're in that space of Steve Jobs creating that kind of um, feeling for people whilst you're making good money and throwing out time time for for your life. Oh, he was a pretty angry guy, <laughs> um, but you know the positive psychology, Mikhail Chesmihai and and all the all the positive psychologists uh, will talk about flow 
being in a flow state. For me, when I speak, I'm in a flow state. It's where time and, you know, time stops. I just love what I'm doing and so deeply passionate about it and sharing and helping. And, um, you know, that for a lot of people is a dream, is a myth. If you can find that where you're out there helping people, whether it be helping people or creating something or designing something, um, where you find flow on a day-to-day basis and you're getting paid to do that, that's a rarity. Absolutely. And I totally agree with you. Where did you find your, the courage to become a speaker? I know we're coming to the top of the hour, but I want to really touch on that. I, I was always fascinated with the art and the stagecraft of speaking. And being, a, being a, a, a really good orator was something that I certainly didn't have, have, have during, and I still don't have, if you ask me. Um and ah, um and ah, you know, I, you know, I, I was always fascinated with speaking from stage and getting a message out there, and they're the change makers. I, I think that being able to go into a big company, I've spoken to some big organisations, and go in there at the top as part of the conference and actually shift a person's perspective on their life and their work and disrupt a train of thought that they they always thought was the way, get them to look at things from a different perspective, I think is a great part of being a change maker and or a change agent. And I love the hey, I love the stagecraft of it. You know, I love I love the virtual stand up comedy routine that you can deliver and I love saying something and then bang, you know, to a thousand you know, group of a group of a thousand people, all the lights go on, the penny drops and you're just like boom, there it is, and have that affect them and then have it have a ripple effect into their families and their work is really what it's all about. I love that. Trav, give me uh, very quickly a 30-second uh, look into a day in your life when you started the bucket list guy business um, versus a day in your life today. Oh, it's the same. I'm a, um, I work from home, so I, you know, I had nearly 200, 250 employees and now I've got none. The life's a little bit less stressful, which is nice. <laughs> I'm a complete digital nomad, so everything's online. It doesn't matter where I am in the world, uh, which is great, which, I, you know, one of my top values is freedom. So I literally work from home. I've got, sure, I've got an outsourced team that all report into me. They've got tasks and different things to do for me. I, um, yeah, walk the, walk the dogs in the morning, have a healthy breakfast. I work out later on in, in the day to bookend my day. I'm a big list writer, obviously. Normally I cross off my MVPs every day, my top three MVPs. I'll do my work in the morning and then work with clients in the afternoon typically. Yeah, I've been in business long enough to know that I'm the master of my own time. So I run my day. I don't turn on emails until later on in the day. I don't want to be um, at the mercy of anyone else's agenda. I create my own time. Yeah, that that's a big shift for a lot of people. When I started, I was sort of, you know, open up my email and be at the mercy of everyone else's agenda. Now I create my own agenda. I, I do what I set out to do. Now I'm a big productivity hacker. I do that so I'm present with every task that I do on a day-to-day basis and every person that I interact with. Mm-hmm. 
what's the number one thing you would say about productivity hacking that you're doing, say, today? Get off Facebook. Get off Facebook. <laughs> I'll remember, remember that. Only uh, don't leave it on during the day. Um, I call it crackbook. But, you know, social media and even, this is Snapchat's even worse now. You know, like you can get sucked into that world. So, you know, there's all sorts of different productivity hack apps out there that you can use to not get distracted. And, and it's in this age of, you know, we've all got uh, HD, ADHD, which high definition, <laughs> high definition um, attention deficit disorder because we're in this world of distractions. So it's about switching off the distractions, just nailing some work in a set period of time, getting it completed. Like I said, success is about completion and then moving to your next task. And that's really the, the time management principles of the best CEOs in the world is doing one thing until it is done and then moving to the next task until it's done and not allowing distractions to uh, come in. Hence why a lot of the top CEOs have gatekeepers. Unfortunately, as small business owners, we don't have gatekeepers. We are it. So, yeah, you've got to be the master of your own time. And that's probably the thing that I've learnt the most over the last couple of years is uh, create an agenda and then, and then make sure that you stick to it. Um, Trav, I know, the, I know the answer to this question is yes, but do you still invest in mentors and um, who are some of those that you can share with us today? Oh, a billion percent. Um, it would scare people how much I've spent on personal development and coaches and mentors over the years. It's got probably half a million bucks. I've been, uh, I've always been in seminars. I always, you know, I learn, one of the things that I do on a day-to-day basis is I'll learn, I'll, I'll do in the morning while I'm doing breakfast and just before jumping on this podcast, I'll listen to another podcast um, this morning or I'll listen to an audio or watch a video. So... I really like, um, well, it's who's hot right now. Um, I really like Gary Vanderchuk right now. Always love Tony Robbins. I love Brad Sugars, of which I'm speaking for his company over in South Africa, Action Coach. Big Tim Ferriss fan. I've actually met Tim Ferriss and had lunch with Tim Ferriss for our work week fame. Um, yeah, you've got Branson, of course. And, yeah, these these coaches and mentors can come in audio form in book form so you don't have to know them but you can really get inside their psyche of how they run their day and their life and why they come into your life like I love you know every Monday I listen to Dave Ramsey Dave Ramsey's show about money on Mondays I pay a lot of bills and collect a lot of money so he puts me in the space of doing that and then if I want to get creative and get inspired I, I listen to and watch Elon Musk right now I love that guy he is Superman or he is Batman, I think. <laughs> you know, what he's doing right now is, is just crazy. Yeah, and just yesterday I listened to a big interview with Richard Branson as well is about, uh, about network marketing, which is a, one of the businesses that I've got. And so all these different things that are, uh, these people that are out there, yeah, you can, with social media and becoming a, a fanboy of their stuff, um, you can certainly download a lot of that stuff and map it into your world. Yeah, I love that. Um, Elon Musk has come up on a number of my podcast interviews quite recently, so he's definitely making inroads into most people's minds, um, which is great. Um, best two books that are must-reads for entrepreneurs in your mind today? I think Four Hour Work Week and uh, you know anything by Branson. Well, it's Screw Business as Usual is his latest one. I think that's really p- powerful. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. great. 
Trav, before I ask my last question, I just wanted to acknowledge you for you know, everything you're doing in the marketplace, for the brand that you're building, for having the courage to, to step out and, and impact people's lives and pursuing your dreams, which in turn helps others have that permission, I guess, to do the same. And more specifically, for pouring out your words of wisdom here on this show to inspire the business generous community. Uh, I want to thank you for that. Cool, man. No worries. Pleasure. And, and now for the last question, Trav. When all is said and done, what legacy do you want to leave and be remembered for? And tell us why. I hope that I help people with a philosophy of how to live their life, how to re, reprioritize their life, to concentrate on their life more than their work, and to help people live a regret-free life. And I'm just known for a philosophy around that. And that's what I'll be saying at TED tomorrow. We look forward to hearing that talk, Trav. Pleasure. Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for hanging out with me and Trav today. Hope you had as much fun as I did. But more importantly, my hope is that you can get your hopes up that you are good enough to chase your dreams and live out that lifestyle that you intended. Remember to head on over to businessjournals.com for all the show notes and just type Trav, T-R-A-V, in the search bar and his show notes will pop up with everything we talked about today. So that's businessjournals.com. Trav, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you? Probably just www.thebucketlistguy.com and everyone can find me on the socials as well. Amazing. Trav, thank you so much for being on the Business Generals podcast today and for sharing your story with us. For that, we are grateful. You are a true business general. Thanks, mate. No worries. Cheers. Hey, what's up, Business Generals family? Thank you for joining me and for listening to the Business Generals podcast. Connect with me at Davis Mutabwa. That's D-A-V-I-S-M-U-T-A-B-W-A. Connect with me on Facebook, on Twitter, on LinkedIn. And you can certainly find me at our podcast blog, businessgenerals.com. And while you're there, remember to access all the show notes, a ton of free resources, killer training, and so much more. Love you guys. Thank you for joining me. Ciao.